You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Unbelievers' condemnation is because of their unbelief. They're causing their condemnation because they haven't believed. It should be noted, and I think we just did, that the great divide between man and God is man's choice. It's man's choice. God has always been trying to reach down to man. But God did reach down to man through the cross. Man has rejected the one way to deliverance from that condemnation which God sent to his son to remove. Salvation is a choice. When you choose not to accept Christ, you bring condemnation upon yourself. The Lord wants all to come to him, but he will not force anyone into a relationship with him. In Pastor Dave's message today, he asks, will you willfully remain in condemnation or accept Christ as your savior? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter three, as he begins his message, The Bridge Across the Great Divide. We are going to continue in our study of the Gospel of John, and specifically we will be still in chapter 3, and today we're going to be looking at the verses 17 through 21. So if you will turn into your Bibles, that chapter and those verses, John, the Gospel, chapter 3, we've been working our way through the Gospel now. If you found your places there, I will read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently, please, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For anyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So I was watching a special on the National Geographic channel, about the Continental Divide. The Continental Divide is basically a mountainous range that runs all the way from Alaska down to the tip of South America. High up in the Canadian Rockies, however, there's a place called the Great Divide. In fact, they even have a great big sign there that says the Great Divide. And what's interesting about this place is that there's a source of two major rivers. One river starts there and flows west towards the Pacific. The other river starts there and flows east towards the Atlantic. And what is interesting that I learned watching this special is that rain falling in that area, you could be standing there and two drops can fall down, land in one of those two rivers and go opposite ways and never meet again. I thought that was clever. Keep that in mind as we go into our study today 
because I want to take a look today at the spiritual great divide. There's a spiritual great divide separating man and God. A chasm, if you will. A divide that is so large, man cannot cross over it. That chasm, that divide, is known as sin. Sin separates us from God. The distance across that divide is unfathomable. It's uncrossable by human standards. Now, man, for centuries, has tried to build a bridge to cross over this divide. Man's bridge is is called religion. And it was man's attempt to bridge this great divide by his good works, by his obedience to the law, and by his righteousness. But man has failed in his own efforts. Man could not build a bridge to come over this great chasm. Man could not build a bridge to come over this great divide. Why? Well, if you know anything about bridge building, and I'm sure you're all experts on it, for a bridge to be effective, it must safely touch both sides of the chasm. For a bridge to be successful, it must safely touch both sides of the divide. Where a man was unable to build this bridge across the great divide, God, being ever faithful, being full of mercy and grace because of his vast love for us, used a cross as a bridge. He used the cross as a bridge. Only God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, can touch both sides, man and God. Jesus, being fully man, reached out and was able to touch man on his side. And being fully God, was able to reach out and touch God on that side. So Jesus reached the gap on both sides. Jesus proclaimed to us that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. It is only as man walks across that bridge which spans the divide that he can come into fellowship with the Father. This was God's eternal plan from the beginning. This was God's way of reconciliation. It was God's way of proclaiming his forgiving love towards us. Scripture tells us that Jesus came as a man. Emmanuel, God with us. He showed us the Father perfectly. In fact, there's a beautiful scripture that really touches my heart. It's found in the first epistle of John. You don't have to turn there. I'll turn there for you. It's John 1, and it's verses 1 through 3. Allow me to read those for you. They are poignant in what they say. John writes in his first epistle in verse 1 of chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Beautiful words. Beautiful, beautiful words by the Apostle John as he's talking about we've seen him, we were with him, we heard his voice, we touched him, we embraced him, he was with us, we walked together. Beautiful, beautiful words. 
This is what Jesus has been trying to tell Nicodemus all through chapter 3. Jesus has been trying to get this across to Nicodemus. As Nicodemus came to him, by the way, that was the original Nick at night. Mm. I know, I know. That was two-thirds of a pun, P-U. I know, I know, I know. I don't even know why that came out, but anyhow. Nicodemus came to Jesus seeking answers about Jesus' identity. He came to Jesus. And everything they had spoken about through the first 15 verses of chapter 3 led up to that glorious and wonderful statement that we studied a couple weeks ago in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a glorious, glorious statement. Jesus told Nicodemus that salvation is not just a Jewish right. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. We must be born again of the Spirit, not only to the Jew, but to all men, men of every nation. Salvation, he said, is not for the righteous. No, salvation is for the worst of sinners. Salvation is for the worst of sinners, the whosoevers, because all of mankind has been bitten by this snake of sin. And we've all been filled with its poisonous venom. Therefore, the Son of God must be lifted up on a cross. And whoever looks and believes in him will have eternal life. And that's what he's been telling him all along. See, the glorious truth of God's love and his plan for salvation in, for all humanity is stated right here in John 3.16. But John doesn't stop there. And he continues on with Jesus' words. And I, le I left you hanging with this the last time we studied this. Verse 17, I call the kicker verse. The kicker verse, it says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And in some of the translations, it uses condemnation. God clearly did not his only Son in the world to judge it, but rather his purpose was to save the world through the life and death of his Son. It's interesting here because if you study the structure of the sentence, it's a passive voice. There's a passive voice used in the phrase that the world might be saved. And what this indicates is that the world is saved from an outside source. In other words, the world is saved by God himself. God himself who does the saving. How did he do it? He sent his son. He gave his son. That's how God saves us. 2,000 years ago, God built a bridge for all mankind to cross over the great divide. He used a Roman cross, and on it he placed his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Why do we always picture Jesus as condemning us? Why do we all picture Jesus with having this great big spoon, a wooden spoon? Why do we always picture him coming around going, I'm mm, going to get you. Why is that? Could it, believe, could it be that we believe us to be so sinful? Could we believe that we're so guilty? Maybe it is. I don't know. But we're always thinking that he's posturing, saying, oh, I know you. You're doing it again. But the Apostle Paul, when we studied the book of Romans, he answered this question. He answered this rhetorical question in Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemns, he said. And then he answers this question. Not Jesus. For Jesus died for us, yes, rather, is risen again and is even at the right hand of the Father making intercession. 
Jesus is at the right hand of the Father today making intercession for you and for me. What a glorious thought of that. God didn't send him into the world to condemn the world. Jesus hasn't come to condemn you. He's come to save you. He's come to save you, to give you salvation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world he might be saved. The angel told Jesus, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. His own name means salvation. Yashashua, Jehovah is salvation. His name means salvation. God sent Jesus to hang on that cross to be the bridge mankind needed. Mankind didn't need any more condemnation because the world already stands condemned. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. That's the good news. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who are caught in what I've been calling the religious box are told what to do to reach heaven. They are told what to do to reach heaven. You must do this. You must do this. Climb to this height. Climb to that height. You have to do all these things, and then you might get there because you have to do some more to get there. They keep changing the rules. They keep changing the regulation. And every rule and every regulation just makes the box deeper. And you can't get out of the religious box. And as the religious box gets deeper, the chasm and the divide across between you and God gets longer, larger, and deeper. You can't get out. But Jesus on the cross touches both sides. Man and God, Jesus is the perfect bridge. Jesus is the perfect bridge. Man's responsibility is to believe. Man's responsibility is to believe God has done all the work for you. God has done all the work, and he's given you the responsibility to but believe. Believe in him whom he sent. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Not believing in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord is equivalent to self-condemnation. Once again, the verbs in verse 18, has been judged and has not believed, accentuate the fact that the unbeliever's combination is because of their own unbelief. Did you hear that? The unbeliever's condemnation is because of their unbelief. They're causing their condemnation because they haven't believed. It should be noted, and I think we just did, that the great divide between man and God is man's choice. It's man's choice. God has always been trying to reach down to man. But God did reach down to man through the cross. Man has rejected the one way to deliverance from that condemnation which God sent through his son to remove. Man has failed to cross over the bridge to eternal life, so he willfully remains in condemnation. He willfully remains in condemnation. So what is the condemnation? What is the condemnation? John answers us for, answered that for us in 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the condemnation. And in verse 20 and 21, we see that this. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may have been done 
in God. Amen is right. The light exposes evil. He who is in the truth comes to the light. His deeds are clearly seen that they're done in God. What keeps people from belief in Jesus and salvation? Is it sin or is it unbelief? Yeah, really it's both. People will not believe because they love their sin. Man preferred darkness instead of light. If sin didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it. How many of you have been talking to somebody about Christ and you get this? Well, I like my life just the way it is. I enjoy what I do. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a sinner. I enjoy my life. Why should I repent and come to this Jesus? I'm okay. I like my life just the way it is. And I've been struggling for the last several days with an illustration of this, and I hope that this comes across the way I want it to come across, so please bear with me. Listen to me get all the way through this before we decide. I've come up with an illustration that I'm going to share with you now to try to get the point across of what Jesus has been saying to Nicodemus. Two Fridays ago was Good Friday. We celebrated Good Friday. And you know that on the day Jesus was crucified, he was placed between two criminals. He was placed between two criminals, and this fulfilled prophecy. This fulfilled prophecy. But it also gives us an excellent illustration of what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in these last five verses. So there were three crosses on Calvary that day. There were three men on those crosses. The same death was going to befall each man. But oh, how different the outcome. How different the results. So let's picture this. You have the three crosses before you. On one side of the cross, you have the cross of rebellion and rejection. The cross of condemnation. It held one of the criminals, one of the thieves, it says. And while hanging there before the jeering crowd, he was feeling the pain and anguish of crucifixion, but all he could do was look in spite and hatred at Jesus. He began to hurl insults at him, challenging him. If you're the Christ, get yourself down off the cross and, hey, take us with you. Even knowing that he was about to go into eternity, in a very short time, all he could do was spit out venom and hatred and bitterness to anyone and everyone around him. Imagine that. The Savior of the world is right beside him. This man was going to an eternal hell, never to receive another chance. His unbelief was doing what to him? Condemning him. It was condemning him. His unbelief was condemning him. Here was Jesus, the greatest person that ever lived who was all God and all man, and while he was in pain, what was he doing? He was praying for his tormentors. He was worried about his mother, and he was even worried about the two men that were beside him. He cared for them to the very end. And here's this thief. He saw all this. He saw the perfection of a Savior. And then he looked at his own pitiful life, and instead of reaching out to Jesus, he hated Jesus even more. The thief looked and saw the righteousness and seemed to hate Christ more and more and more as he hurled insults between the pain. His was the cross of rejection. His own comrade said that they were condemned already. We deserve to be here. We are already condemned men justly. But the rebel wouldn't relent. Even with one foot in the grave. On the other side of Jesus was the cross of repentance. The cross of repentance. There was a criminal on that cross too. 
He was dying a shameful death, but he takes an entirely different course after he breathes his last. Instead of curses from his lips, I believe that there were tears in his eyes. He looked inside himself and looked at the other thief and declared that they were deserving of what was happening to them. He realized that his sin was deserving of death. And as he looked over there, he looked, but there was a man in the middle. And he recognized that the two of them were already condemned, and rightfully so. But this man has done nothing. There's nothing wrong with him. He's innocent. Now, if you've been hoping and praying that your good deeds will save you, you need to look at the thief on the cross. You begin to realize how mistaken you are. Here was a man who may have had good deeds in his life, but being crucified as a result of bad deeds, yet being told by Christ that this day he would be with him in paradise. This man reached out to Jesus. He made a plea to him that originated in the depths of his soul, and Jesus responded with mercy. The enemy was blinded, his eyes, and the unsaved and deceived. The enemy tells them lies that they must somehow measure up before receiving salvation. Here was a man who made a simple request and was saved as a result. Interesting note that in Romans 10, 13, it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you look at Luke 23, verse 43, the first word of the, out of the thief's mouth is Lord. Lord, calls him Lord, declares him to be Lord. The cross of repentance reminds us that the worst sinner can be saved and forgiven of their sins. And when we pause to take a look at the cross of repentance, we realize the, the utter simplicity of salvation. And oh, how difficult we make it. And the more difficult we make it, the more the religious box closes in on us. You had the cross of condemnation on one side, the cross of rebellion and rejection. On the other side, you had the cross of repentance. And in the middle, in the middle was the cross that bridged the gap. The cross that bridged the gap of the great divide. And on that hung Jesus Christ. It was the redemptive cross. Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. How many people today are in prison and you ask them why they're there, they'll tell you they were framed. Or they weren't the trigger person, or they didn't do it. But here the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus, who had really done this, couldn't believe that Jesus was being punished alongside him. Couldn't believe and knew that Jesus was innocent. Every time Jesus turned around, he was followed by those of the religious crowd wanting to put him in the religious box. They were just waiting for him to sin. The words of repentant criminals summed it up. They said, this man has done nothing wrong. No other man has ever lived at any time who could ever have summed up their life better than this. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here was a man who had never sinned, and even in the face of reviling and anguish of body and soul, he never lashed out in bitterness, but was only concerned with the forgiveness of others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.